Welcome to Canadian Patriot Radio, my friends. It's May 26th, 2021, and I am your host, Critch. David Wilcox, Hot Hot Papa. When was the last time you heard that one? Yeah. Back when music was wicked. (laughs) Okay, my friends. We got a lot to cover today. So let's just get to it. And what I wanted to open with was the new information we got coming out of China. This first one comes to us by the way of the BL. And it was written on May 24th. And the title reads, Report exposes China's deceit. Wuhan lab researchers with COVID-19 symptoms hospitalized prior to outbreak. This is by Amelia Jones. One sec, I just got to turn this music right off or I will get distracted and start dancing in the studio. (laughs) According to a previously unpublished United States intelligence report, three researchers from China's Wuhan Institute of Virology, WIV, sought hospital treatment in November 2019, months before China announced the CCP virus. Pandemic outbreak. The intelligence gathered by an international partner expands on a U.S. State Department document published on January 15th, revealing that the WIV staff became ill in the fall of 2019 with symptoms consistent with both COVID-19 and common seasonal illness, the Wall Street Journal reported. Since it offers new information on the number of researchers affected, the timing of their infections and their hospital visits, the study strengthens a leading hypothesis. The CCP virus reached human population and started spreading after escaping from a lab. The Chinese Communist government has continuously denied that the virus was leaked out from the WIV. Beijing authorities insisted that the reported uh, case was on December 8, 2019. Xi Zhengli, WIV's top bat coronavirus specialist, has claimed that the CCP virus did not leak from her labs. She told a WHO-led team investigating the virus's origins in Wuhan that all of the workers had tested negative for CCP virus antibodies and they had no turnover. Well, just a second there, Xi Zhengli. Uh, <laughs> the bat story is still an escape. <laughs> like, has, has nobody even just thought about that for a second? Like, it's still, to get this actual coronavirus, or this SARS-CoV-2, which was developed in South Carolina... And then shipped over to um, Wuhan for gain-of-function testing, funded by Dr. Anthony Fauci, which we now are quite aware of through Rand Paul. He he went right after him in the Senate uh, during a hearing and uh, basically put him to the coals and flat-out told him that we know that you funded this through the NIH. So... I don't know who ever actually believed the bat story, but it was freaking stupid, to say the very least. In a joint study with Chinese experts released in March, the team concluded that the CCP virus was most likely transmitted from bats to humans through another species, and that a laboratory leak was extremely unlikely. Well, it's still... It, oh, I'm sorry. It just it doesn't even equate. It's so stupid. Team members, meanwhile, said that they did not see raw data raw data or original lab protection or other documents. On the same day as as the report was published, WHO Chief Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus said that the team had not properly investigated the lab leak hypothesis and called for a more thorough investigation. Well, why would they investigate anything but their official narrative? Members of the team also mentioned that they requested access to a Wuhan blood bank in order to test samples for antibodies prior to December 2019. The Chinese authorities initially refused, citing privacy concerns, but later agreed, according to team members. But they have yet to grant access. The fact that there was 
uh, the fact there were contaminated Wuhan researchers before the first identified case of the epidemic has raised questions about Dr. Xi's credibility. You don't say. The report did not come to a conclusion about how exactly the pandemic started, but criticized Beijing for its uh, deceit and disinformation. China's foreign minister, Wang Li, told the Wall Street Journal that the U.S. continues to hype up the lab leak theory. It is actually concerned about tracing the source and trying to divert attention, he said. Many countries were left dissatisfied by the Chinese regime's lack of transparency. Not only the United States, but Norway, Canada, the United Kingdom, and other countries also expressed concern about the WHO-led CCP virus origins report in March. Just like we said, the WHO is right in bed. They were at the helm of this. So, of course, they don't want focus going on on what actually happened. They are calling for further analysis and complete access to all relevant human, animal, and other data about the outbreak's early stages. The journal article was published on the eve of a meeting of the World Health Organization's decision-making body, which is expected to discuss the next step in the inquiry into the CCP virus origins. Mike Pompeo, former U.S. Secretary of State, has called on the Chinese Communist Party to provide evidence to quell the theory that the CCP virus originated in a Wuhan lab. Appearing on Newsroom on May 18th, Pompeo argued that all circumstantial evidence points to the Wuhan lab as the source of the COVID-19 spread, blaming the CCP for doing everything they could to cover up and deflect. They know they've covered this up in the same way that Chernobyl was covering up for so long. We saw the same results. Millions of people dead, he said. Bang on, Pompeo. And as, as you guys know, um, this, this timeline makes perfect sense. Um, if it leaked from Wuhan in November of 2019, and, it's ha- and it went through how many rounds of gain-of-function testing so it could infect people unbelievably fast... And you got people from China traveling all over the world. It makes absolute sense that it was showing up in November 2019 because of a lab leak. Probably intentional. Let's go there, friends, because we know that this was all planned. You cannot tell me that you had this experimental injection ready in eight months and you didn't have this plan prior. Uh, We were born at night, but it wasn't last night. Anyway, my friends, we got a lot to cover today, <clears throat> so let's get the show started. We'll be right back. So what should I call you? Should I call you uh, a bullet, a tooth? You can call me Susan if it makes you happy. There are times in life when being tough comes in handy. Say some geezer collapses in front of you. What do you do? We need a volunteer that ain't breathing. Here's one I made earlier. First thing you do is you check him over. If he ain't responsive or he ain't breathing, Always making noises like this. Climate change is real. There is no evidence of election fraud. The Canadian Liberals are doing a great job. Then his heart will stop working, he's having a cardiac arrest. Look lively. First call 999. Then you do hands-only CPR and no kissing. You only kiss your missus on the lips. Watch. Lock your fingers together, knuckles up. Then push down, right on the sovereign. Push down five or six centimetres. That's about two inches in old money. Push hard and fast about two times a second. Like to the beat of staying alive. Worried you'll hurt him? Better a cracked rib than him kicking the bucket. Keep this up till the ambulance arrives. So don't forget, check him over. Call 999, push hard and fast to staying alive. It works. Hands only CPR. It ain't as hard as it looks. A Russian? Well, to be technical, he's an Uzbekistanian, but... Uzbekistanian? I've been dealing with those sneaky Russian dogs. <laughs> Give me a name. No, oh, no. Boris. Boris the Blade? Yeah. As in Boris the Bullet Dodger. Why do they call him the Bullet Dodger? Because he dodges bullets heavy. All right, welcome back, my friends. We are going to jump right back into it. We have an incredible report to cover from The Lancet. Um, And this was brought to my attention just today by my sister. She had posted a a meme, excuse me, that referenced this this study by The Lancet. 
And uh, we're just going to get into the thick of this because this is going to pick apart. This actually fits so perfectly in tonight's episode because I, well, you'll see. We'll, you'll see because we'll be referencing this throughout the whole show. So let's get into it here. This is COVID-19 vaccine efficacy and effectiveness. The elephant in brackets, not in the room. This was published April 20th, 2021. And of course, something this explosive doesn't reach us until a month later. Typical because nobody nobody even knows it's out and the mainstream media won't touch it with a 10-foot pole. Uh, this was uh, basically written by three people, Piero Olerio, Els Torelli, and Michael Valiant. Sweet name, Valiant. Too bad it wasn't Valiant. Anyway, <clears throat> approximately 96 COVID-19 vaccines are at various stages of clinical development. At present, we have the interim results of four studies published in the in scientific journals on the Pfizer-BioNTech uh, vaccine, Moderna, uh, and AstraZeneca, and what? Which one? Gamalia, Gamecovax, or the Sputnik V, and three studies through the U.S. Food and Drug Administration briefing documents on Pfizer-BioNTech, Moderna, Johnson and Johnson, and AD26. Furthermore, excerpts of these results have been widely communicated and debated through press releases and media, sometimes in misleading ways. Although attention has been focused on vaccine efficacy and comparing the reduction of the numbers of symptomatic cases, fully understanding the efficacy and effectiveness of vaccines is less straightforward than it might seem, depending on how the effect size is expressed. A quite different picture might emerge. Vaccine efficacy is generally reported as relative risk reduction or RRR. It uses the relative risk, i.e. the ratio of attack rates with and without a vaccine, which is expressed as 1RR, ranking by reported efficacy gives relative risk reductions of 95% for the Pfizer-BioNTech, 94% for the Moderna, 90% for Gamalia, and... 67% for Johnson & Johnson and 67% for AstraZeneca Oxford vaccines. However, RRR should be seen against the background risk of being infected and becoming ill with COVID-19, which varies between populations and over time. Although the triple R, I'm just going to call it because it's easier to say, considers only participants who could benefit from the vaccine, the absolute risk reduction, A double R, which is the difference between attack rates with and without a vaccine, considers the whole population. AWR tends to be ignored because they give a much less impressive efficacy rate uh, than triple R's. Now, are you ready for these numbers, my friends? So here we go. 1.3% for AstraZeneca. 1.2% for Moderna. 1.2% for Johnson & Johnson and 0.93% for Gamalia and 0.84% for Pfizer-BioNTech vaccines. I'm just going to give a minute of uh, silence there just so you can really take that in. I'll repeat it even. And I'll just just explain what this is again. The absolute risk reduction, which is the difference between attack rates with and without a vaccine, considers the whole population. ARRs tend to be ignored because they give a much less impressive effect size than the RRRs. 1.3% for AstraZeneca, 1.2% for the Moderna, 1.2% for Johnson & Johnson, and 0.84% for Pfizer-BioNTech. Not even 1% for Pfizer. And we've got people all over this country pushing this on our population. On a lie. Based on a lie. This is sickening. Absolutely sickening. That they are still doing this. This study's been out for a fucking month. And I'm looking at my politician in the sketch. Pushing this all over people in this province. Trying to convince kids to get it. What in the fuck? The fact that they left these numbers out of the study or out of the information that was presented to the the general population is absolutely criminal. 
politicians and health authorities that are pushing this that might have actually had this knowledge need to be arrested and put in fucking jail for the rest of their goddamn lives especially if these freaking vaccines kill people then they should be put in front of a firing squad well we know they're killing people but they should be put in front of a firing squad and shot in the guts and left to bleed out the worst possible death you could probably have that we could still probably pull off without human rights getting all over us but i mean these people aren't thinking about human rights look at what they're doing look at the deaths already at vares like the, the blood of these people that have died from these fucking vaccines are all over each one of these people's hands and i know i'm getting hot but this is absolutely the this is the final nail in the coffin for me the fact that they probably were well aware of this for a month like in my province, Scott Moe, if you do not know about this report, then you are seriously more of a fucking idiot than I thought you were. By the way, Scott Moe hasn't gotten back to me on my last inquiry. He just keeps passing me off in, over to the health authority, which sends me on a loop response uh, to all my inquiries about uh, the Pfizer-BioNTech study, which they admitted that they knew about... Uh, uh, communication of genetically modified material from vaccinated to unvaccinated people. So it just goes to show how they're going to respond to people that their constituents that are concerned about what they are pushing onto the population. And now we've got this. So anyway, it goes further. Let's get into this. <clears throat> um, it explains exactly how they normally calculate this stuff for vaccine rollouts. Okay, ARR is also used to derive an estimate of vaccine effectiveness which is the number needed to vaccinate, or NNV, to prevent one more case of COVID-19 as one ARR. NNVs bring a different perspective. 76 for the Moderna, 78 for AstraZeneca, 80 for the uh, Gamalia, 84 for Johnson & Johnson, 117 for Pfizer-BioNTech vaccines. This explanation lies in the combination of vaccine efficacy and different background risks of COVID-19 across studies. 0.9% uh, for Pfizer-BioNTech, 1% for Gamalia, 1.4% for Moderna, 1.8% for Johnson & Johnson, and one9 for AstraZeneca Oxford. AAR and NNV are sensitive to background risk. The higher the risk, the higher the effectiveness as exemplified by the analysis of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine on centrally confirmed cases compared with all cases. Both, of the, both the numerator and the denominator change. Triple R does not change, 66 to 67%, but the, the one-third increase in attack rates in the unvaccinated group from 1.8 to 2.4 translates in a one-fourth decrease in the number needed vaccinated from 84 264. <clears throat> there are many lessons to learn from the way studies are con conducted and results are presented. With the use of only triple R's and um, omitting the ARR's, reporting bias is introduced, which affects the interpretation of vaccine efficacy. When communicating about vaccine efficacy, especially for the public health decisions such as choosing the type of vaccine to purchase and deploy, Having a full picture of what the data actually shows is important and ensuring comparisons are based on the com combined evidence that puts vaccine trial results in context and not just looking at one summary measure is also important. Such decisions should be properly informed by detailed understanding by a detailed understanding of study results requiring access to full data sets and independent scrutiny and analysis. <clears throat> Unfortunately, comparing vaccines on the basis of currently available trial interim data is made even more difficult by uh, uh, disparate study protocols, including primary endpoints such as what is considered a COVID-19 case and when is this assessed, types of placebo study populations, background risks of COVID-19 during the study, uh, duration of exposure, and different definitions of population for analysis both within and between studies, as well as definitions of endpoints and statistical methods for efficacy. Importantly, we are left with unanswered questions as to whether a vaccine with a given efficacy in the study population will have the same efficacy in another population with different levels of background risks of COVID-19. This is not a trivial question because transmission intensive, uh, transmission intense, 
Intensity varies between countries, affected by factors such as public health interventions and virus variants. The only reported indication of vaccine effectiveness is in the Israel mass vaccination campaign using the Pfizer BioNTech product. Although the design and methodology are radically different from the randomized trial, Dagon and colleagues report a triple R of 94%, which is essentially the same as the triple R of the phase three trial, 95%, with an A double R of 0.46%, which translates into a NNV of 217 when the A double R was uh, 0.84%. And the NNV was 119 in the phase three trial. This means in a real-life setting, 1.8 times more subjects might need to be vaccinated to prevent one more case of COVID-19 than predicted in the corresponding clinical trial. Uncoordinated Phase 3 trials do not satisfy public health requirements. Platform trials designed to address public health-relevant questions with a common protocol will allow decisions to be made, informed by common criteria and uniform assessment. These considerations on efficacy and effectiveness are based on studies measuring prevention of mild to moderate COVID-19 infection. They were not designed to conclude on prevention of hospitalization, severe disease, or death, or on prevention of infection and transmission potential. Assessing the suitability of vaccines must consider all indicators and involve safety, deployability, availability, and cost. So just like we've been saying all along, <clears throat> all they did was lower the severity of mild to medium cases with these vaccines. And that's what they drew their numbers from. And they, they left out an extremely important part of it, which is the, uh, <clears throat> oh, excuse me. I got so mixed up with all the um, absolute risk reduction, which was basically the bottom of the barrel. So they, they just went with one side. Normally they would include both, which would even still put them under 50%. This is, this is absolutely criminal. This study is out. We've got provincial governments still pushing this. They're trying to push this on kids right now. And it basically has, as it does F all for you, my friends. Like you're better off to get on ivermectin if you can get your hands on hydroxychloroquine in Canada, very doubtful, but you can get your hands on ivermectin. I know that personally, as you guys know, and take that. If you're really worried about this fricking, uh, new human virus that has a 99.98% survival rate, then get on ivermectin. Do not. And I repeat, do not take this experimental MRNA crap that they are trying to pump into you. Absolutely. As you can tell, this got me absolutely furious. Now, let's let's move on to my premier. Listen to this crap coming out of this fucking idiot's mouth. Saskatchewan Premier Scott Moe sends a stern message to, to those against COVID-19 vaccines. This is brought to us by Global News, and the writer is Jonathan Guinard. It was posted yesterday. As Saskatchewan continues to have high rates of vaccination in the province, Premier Scott Moe had a message to those on Tuesday choosing not to get their COVID-19 vaccine. You should know and you should be fully aware of the risks that are associated with your decision, Moe said. Oh, really, Moe? Even though we are reopening in Saskatchewan, COVID is not disappearing. COVID will not be gone. Those who have, cons have chosen not to get vaccinated, you will continue to be at risk not only contracting COVID, but at risk of much more severe outcomes. Really? Is that kind of almost sounds like a threat, doesn't it, my friends? That could easily be taken as a threat. Because I know if I said something like that, being that I'm against the narrative, that would be interpreted as a threat. So what are you actually trying to say, Mo? What are you trying to say? You're going to strip me of my fucking freedoms because I won't get your goddamn experimental shot? That's exactly what he's saying. And I'm sorry for all the swearing. I should probably put a disclaimer on this one. <laughs> but, you know, <clears throat> this is getting absolutely ridiculous. Noted in his daily COVID-19 update, Saskatchewan has administered 665,193 vaccines to date. 606,936 of which are first doses. 
58,180 people have received two doses. I know that some of you are making this choice and there are also and are also encouraging others to maybe not get vaccinated un- under some misguided notion of defending your personal freedoms. Here's the thing, Mo said. You're actually the ones that are standing in the way. I know it's a bizarre misconception that politicians like myself and others that we love imposing these restrictions on people and the general population. I tell you today, nothing could be farther from the truth. I hate it, and I look forward to the day that it all ends. Mo said that day will only come when enough people get vaccinated. You know what, Scott Mo? I bet you dollars to donuts that you are getting paid for this. Because we see it. You know, we're seeing bank accounts grow. Now, we'll just cover a short little blurb after this. There's a bit more to cover here. If you really want all your freedoms back, go get in line and get vaccinated. It's really not a big deal, (laughs) Mo said. We're not asking you to storm the beaches of Normandy. All we're asking you to do is go in and get a tiny little needle in your arm. Yeah, and trust pharmaceutical companies with the shadiest paths of any major corporations in the frickin' world. I'm good. Think about what you're saying to people that are smarter than you, Scott Moe. Obviously, you're an idiot. Moe reminds people that thousands across the world are working hard to provide safe and effective vaccines along with the thousands of healthcare workers in Saskatchewan administering the vaccines. Saskatchewan citizens continue to do their part and continue to go out and get vaccinated, Mo said. To all those who choose not to get vaccinated or to those who that may campaign for others not to get vaccinated, I want you to know that every one of those, people's, those people value their freedoms and they want those restrictions gone just as much as you do. But here's the difference. They're actually doing something about it. Really? Because if we did something about it, Scott Mo, we would probably overthrow this fucking government. So that's a that's another that's another that's something you don't want to even go there. <laughs> oh man, this is getting me hot under the collar. <clears throat> and I'm not advocating to overthrow the government. Of course, if we were going to do that, we would have to do it peacefully, my friends, wouldn't we? By exposing probably the millions of dollars Scott Moe, Doug Ford, Pallister, and Hogan and uh, Jason Kenney are getting for pushing this frickin' toxic vaccine on their civilians. That's how we would do it. We wouldn't resort to violence. We'd just show the crimes. So for anybody listening to this podcast that wants to turn me into the CSIS or the FBI, (coughs) RCMP, just know when I say overthrow the government, that's what I mean. Because you know damn well, friends, that there probably are people waiting for me to slip up and make a threat like that. (laughs) Saskatchewan's chief medical health officer, Dr. Sahik Shahab, is encouraging anybody who isn't vaccinated and eligible to get their shot. I think it's critical that we get vaccinated at the first opportunity and look at all the options available. That's what most of us that don't have the vaccine are doing. So you too, Sahik Shahab, are a moron. Just just going to point that out. <laughs> oh, look at all the options around us, Shahab says. As of Wednesday, eligibility criteria, criteria for first doses of the COVID-19 vaccine is open to those age 12 and older. Absolutely sickening. Absolutely sickening. And seeing I'm so pissed off, let's carry on. Why don't we move to CBC? Because this should probably play right into my anger right now. Okay, this one comes to us today, and the title reads, Don't Assume Your Child Wants a COVID-19 Vaccine, Parents and Public Health Experts Warn. Kids are smart and they have a lot of questions, Regina Doctor says. Oh, this is written by Bonnie Allen. I don't know if we'll do this whole article, because it's extremely low. Well, maybe we will. Let's let's just start and see how mad I get. Regina registered nurse Heather Flynn said she was so excited to book her 17-year-old son a vaccine appointment as soon as he became eligible last week that she overlooked one key thing. She never talked to him about it first. I didn't have a discussion with him. I just told him, I booked your vaccine, you're going to get it, she said. Probably not the best idea on my part because he felt concerned. Flynn just assumed the teen would be eager to get the COVID-19 vaccine like his older brother and parents but soon discovered that he was vaccine hesitant. 
Her son didn't want to talk about his concerns with CBC News, but Flynn said he was anxious about information he gathered on so on social media from some friends. Oh, not but but never actually point out the fact that it's probably coming from credible people. Like we've got incredibly a huge number of doctors now that are speaking out against this. Like we're talking to the tune of hundreds of thousands, but it's just all social media. It's just peer to peer, uh, just gossip. Anybody that has any, any anti-vaccine rhetoric, it's just pure, it's gossip and it's conspiracy theorist nonsense. Put your tinfoil hat on and disappear. Good old CBC, right? Just got to throw their fricking anti anti-counter narrative garbage in every single article. That's, that's good stuff there, Bonnie Allen. Great stuff. And boy, did I just want to grab him and take him to the vaccine clinic and sit him and sit on him. But I, can I do that? No, she said. The age of consent varies across the country. In Saskatchewan, for example, anyone age 13 and older can legally choose to refuse a vaccine without a par- parental involvement. Good. Flynn is sharing her experience to encourage other parents and public health experts to start an open conversation with kids about whether they have concerns or questions about the COVID-19 vaccine. Some infectious disease experts say it's important to recognize that vaccine hesitancy exists, whether it's felt by a young person or their parents, and that people under 18 should have direct, direct access to reliable, authoritative information so they can decide for themselves whether the vaccine is safe and necessary. Okay, we're going to cover something here. The head of clinical microbiology at Saskatoon's Royal University Hospital, Joseph Blondeau, agreed to field questions from kids about side effects, uh, booster shots, and clinical trials during a live stream hosted by CBC Saskatchewan last week. Now, what I want you to do is listen to what this fucking guy was pushing on kids, because I've got a clip of it. I watched this this, uh, Zoom meeting, and it is absolutely disgusting. Disgusting what this guy was saying. Doctor, can we achieve herd immunity without kids under the age of 12 being vaccinated? Wow, what a great question. Um, In my opinion, um, it it really depends on what the percentage of uh, children under 12 are in the population. So let's just uh, put this into a numerical value. Let's just say that we have a million people in the population. And let's say that 200,000 of those are under 12 years of age. So that would, that would mean that you would have 80% of the population that would be immunized if everybody over 12 were, were vaccinated. Uh, so the question, the answer for, for me, for your question is, I think having children vaccinated is an important uh, step towards achieving herd immunity for the whole population. So I think children are important part, an important part of that as well. So I don't think we can get to herd immunity without having children vaccinated as well. So Dr. Joseph Blondeau just told a panel full of children on this CBC-arranged um, Zoom meeting answer quelling concerns about uh, the vaccine for kids that children all have to be vaccinated to reach herd immunity. Uh, seriously, my friends, this is the... <clears throat> This is the head of clinical microbiology at Saskatoon's Royal University Hospital, Joseph Blondeau. Did, uh, was I watching a different world for the last year? Because I was pretty certain that children didn't really even get COVID and that their survival rates were pretty much, you know, what did we have? I believe we had one death under 19 in Canada, all of 2020. And this guy, this, this head of microbiology in Saskatoon RUH is telling a panel full of children that to reach herd, imu- herd immunity, all children need to be vaccinated. And this is what these kids are taking in. Now I've heard of schools playing this interview, like um, kids that weren't like, basically they were showing it to all the rest of the kids that weren't even partaking in it in schools in Saskatchewan, pushing this narrative on children. This is sickening. Like this is this is what, how else can you describe this, but pure, unadulterated evil to push this belief. Like that's a scare tactic, whether he even knows it or not, because it seems like, you know, I watched this. He seems like a genuine guy. 
No, obviously he's bought 100% into the narrative. Or he's getting paid too. And you better get a pretty sum, pretty big sum. And better have a clear conscience of the fact that now kids are going to go out and get a shot that could potentially kill them in under under three years. Let me just remind you of someone way higher qualified than Mr. Doctor, Mr. Doctor, <laughs> Joseph Blondeau, said recently. Nobel Prize winner Luc Montagnier has confirmed that there is no chance of survival for people who have received any form of the vaccine. In the shocking interview, the world's top virologist blankly stated blankly there is no hope and no possible treatment for those who have been vaccinated already we must prepare to incinerate the bodies the scientific genius backed claims of other preeminent virologists after studying the uh, constituents of the vaccine they will all die from antibody dependent enhancement nothing more can be said now we went through that antibody dependent enhancement on the last episode uh do you think that joseph blondo has studied that uh, you know he's a microbiologist he's not a virologist so maybe he hasn't maybe he genuinely thinks this is a good thing which i know i'm getting angry so i'll give him the benefit of the doubt maybe this guy has blinders on he's only seeing what's being fed him fed to him by the cdc the who he's not actually looking at everything like we are here that they, that they openly slam us for, or we just hear it from people on social media. So sickening. So absolutely sickening. Okay, so now this is where this article gets into co- basically coaching pro-vaccine parents on how to sway their va- vaccine-anxious children into still getting it. Listen to this crap. You're hearing them out, hearing their question, and them being able to ask, is it about them? Is it a question about their family? Is it a question about trying to get back to a new normal? <clears throat> she said, parents and teachers who do their best to answer questions. This is, uh, excuse me, Kara uh, Benz Tramer, a director with the Saskatchewan Health Authority's Public Health Unit. She said, parents and teachers do their best to answer questions but they shouldn't be afraid to reach out to doctors who are keeping pace with scientific advancements and changing guidelines. So if you can't change your child's mind, get them in touch with a doctor like uh, Dr. Joseph Blondeau here, who will convince your child to potentially take this experimental vaccine. That's how, that's how I read that. In Alberta, a group of pediatricians has started a virtual vaccine hesitancy clinic for parents and kids so that families can connect with medical experts to ask questions. Nationally, COVID-19 Resource Canada, a grassroots initiative started by scientists in March 2020, provides Zoom vaccine Q&A sessions in 20 different languages to any group that makes a request. Oh, dudes, the CPR group should make a request to these. (laughs) Oh, who's down with that? Oh, man, if you are, reach out to me because that would be so sick. If, if everybody in the Telegram page jumped onto a Zoom meeting and just pounded these motherfuckers with, like, facts and stuff that we are uncovering and just didn't let them have a moment's rest. Oh, that would be so sick. If you guys are down with that, reach out to me because let's do that. That is so wicked. Over the past several weeks, we have seen a majority uptake in requests from schools to provide sessions to their students as they become eligible to receive vaccinations, said Adrian Caldwell, program director at COVID-19 Resource Data, uh, Resource Canada. Dr. Alex Wong, an infectious disease physician at Regina General and a father of three children, recently volunteered to answer questions from kids on Twitter and was stunned by the demand from teachers. It snowballed to the point where he has hosted a virtual forum last week for young people aged 12 to 14 and roughly eight in from roughly 80 classrooms. It's important for us to acknowledge that kids are smart and they have a lot of questions, he said. We want to treat their knowledge level with respect and talk to them like adults, basically. That we have a responsibility to, responsibility to make the best decisions for, for themselves and their health. Oh, Wong said some kids aren't eager to get a vaccine because they are aware that people their age don't generally get sick as adults who have COVID-19. So this guy's fully aware that COVID-19 is no risk to children. They don't need to be vaccinated. He's fully aware of that. Let's see how he explains this away. 
In that case, he said, he believes the most effective messages, mis- uh, the most effective messages encourage them to get the shot to help others and to re- regain their freedom. Regain their freedom. Listen to this fascist fuck. <clears throat> He's totally on board with just locking everybody down due to their health records. Wow. The, the fact that these people discredit themselves within a couple of paragraphs is just, it blows my mind. You see this all the time. And the people at CBC are too fucking stupid to even see that. But you and I do. Like, look at this guy. He's just totally, he's just on board. Straight up fascism works for me. Get everybody to get the poke. <clears throat> wow. Heather Flynn admits she was frustrated by her son's reluctance to get the vaccine, particularly because she's a nurse who has experienced an incredibly difficult year at Pasqua Hospital in Regina. However, she and her husband decided they had to start an open-ended discussion with their son. I'd like to ask Heather Flynn if this year was any different than any other year prior. And at Pasqua, why, why was Pasqua so difficult? That's typically all surgeries. Maybe I'm missing something I could very well be. Okay, the couple had spent hours scouring medical journals journals to investigate the answers to any of his questions. And they also turned to medical professionals for expert advice. So they basically did what they're telling you in this article. Flynn connected her son to a pediatrician. Because coming from us, it's mom, 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 or dad just meh. She said, rolling her eyes to mimic how teenagers can brush off their parents. Well, he's smarter than you, so yeah, he's going to. (laughs) Flynn said her son was ten- ten- has tentatively agreed to get a vaccine, but he's not quite ready yet. So we're stepping back and giving him a little bit of time, yet still answering questions, she said. We want to teach him that he has to make informed, educated choices for his life. He is! Respect the fact that this kid is like, nah, you know, I see everybody's going this way, I'm just going to stand back. What are you doing? You're basically, in a roundabout way, trying to force your child to get an injection he doesn't want to fucking get. That's what you're doing. That's what this whole article described you as doing. It, it tried to ch- show you how to do it. This is absolutely sickening. Now let's listen about this girl that just wrote this. Bonnie Allen, senior reporter. Bonnie, Bonnie Allen is a senior reporter for CBC News based in Saskatchewan. Before returning to Canada in 2013, Allen spent four years reporting from across Africa, including uh, Libya, South Sudan... Liberia and Sierra Leone. She holds a master's in international human rights law. What? From the University of Oxford? She holds a master's in international human rights. And she just wrote an article teaching parents how to coerce their children into getting a vaccine that they do not want. Does anybody see the the, the level of hypocrisy here? What does that, what does that education even mean, Bonnie Allen, if you're going to do something like this? Just wow. Just wow. That's all I got to say. Let's, uh, let's dip into the future of, you know, the bright future that most of these vaccinated people now get to look forward to. Now, this next one comes to us by the Daily Mail. And the title reads, First man in the world to get approved COVID jab is dead. Brit William Shakespeare, yes, his name actually is William Shakespeare, dies at 81 from a stroke after long illness. Uh, isn't that ironic? Who was it that was telling us that people in about, you know, the fall would probably start dying of strokes? Um, geez, you know, I, th- I believe it was Dr. Sherry Tenpenny and that group of doctors we've listened to a few times on this show. You know, isn't it funny how conspiracy theorists are being vindicated about every six months? Isn't that neat? Okay, so this is a mainstream media article, so we might uh, we might cut out. Uh, this was written yesterday, May 25th, uh, by Dan Sales. William Shakespeare, the first man in the world to have an approved COVID jab, died in hospital age 81 after suffering a stroke. Bill, as he was known, made global headlines on so-called V-Day on December 8th. Um, December, January, February, March, April, May. Five months, almost six months. Holy crap, my friends. Sherry Tenpenny is bang on. She said five to six months after receiving the vaccine, you'll start seeing people have heart attacks and strokes. 
and the first guy, they're bragging about the first guy that got it, had a fucking stroke. <laughs> now I get he was 81 years old, and I get that this probably could have happened anyway, but uh, that's that's a pretty uncanny coincidence, isn't it, my friends? <clears throat> oh my God. Uh, on December 8th, when he received the Pfizer-BioNTech jab at the University Hospital, Hospital Coventry, the former Rolls-Royce employee and parish counselor passed away from a stroke last Thursday. University, Hosp uh, University Hospital Coventry at Warwickshire <clears throat> New HS or NHS Trust said. After a period of illness at the same hospital where he famously received his vaccine, he leaves behind his wife Joy, their two adult sons, and four grandchildren. At the time of his jab, much was made of the fact that he was called William Shakespeare and was from Warwickshire, but the pensioner was fiercely proud of uh, Conventrion, according to his friends. Praying tribute to her husband, Joy, 53, said Bill was so grateful for being offered the opportunity to become one of the first people in the world to be given the vaccine. It was something he was hugely proud of. He loves seeing the media coverage and, he, and the positive difference he was able to make in the lives of so many by being the first person to die of a stroke as a result of the vaccine. <laughs> oh my God. This is so unbelievable. <laughs> It's so unbelievable that the mainstream media just rolls with this. They don't even get how thick they seem to us. They don't get it. They're, they're just, they're just, oh my God. It's the blind leading the blind. So funny to read. She added, Bill had the most wonderful care at the hospital. Absolutely wonderful. All the staff was so caring, compassionate, and respectful. And we couldn't be more grateful. They are an absolute credit to their profession at NHS. So whatever, who cares? Uh, well, sorry, sorry that the guy died, but I mean, <clears throat> you got the shot. It was inevitable. <laughs> oh boy, just terrific. Absolutely terrific. Okay, what I want to do now is I want to focus on an incredible article brought to my attention by the Lynx. Way to go, Lynx. This one was just unbelievable. Uh, this comes to us by way of the American Conservative. <clears throat> and uh, the title reads... The other virus, learned helplessness. What is a culture of compliance and ever-shifting rules doing to us? This was written on May 17th by Peter Van Buren. Why would any American allow the government to deny him a final goodbye to the person who raised him? Why would anyone allow grandma to die untouched in a hospital room without fighting back? In the post-vaccination era, why don't people remove their masks? Learned helplessness, employed as a control tool. Learned helplessness is, is well documented. It takes place when an individual believes he continually faces a negative, uncontrollable situation and stops trying to improve his, his circumstances, even when he has the ability to do so. Discovering the loss of control elicits a passive reaction to a harmful situation. Psychologists call this um, maladaptive response characterized by avoidance of challenges and the collapse of problem solving when obstacles arise. You give, you give up trying to fight back. An example may help. You must keep up with ever-changing mask and other hygiene theater rules, many of which make no sense. Masks in the gym, but not in the pool. Masks when going to the restaurant. Toilet, but not at your table. New York City hotels are closed while Vegas casinos are open. Disney California closed while Disney Florida is open. And then comply. <clears throat> you could push back, but you have been made afraid at a core level. Forget about yourself, rascal. You're going to kill grandma if you don't do what we say. And so you just give in. Once upon a time, we were told a vaccine would end it all. Yet the restrictions remain largely in place. You're, being, you're left believing nothing will fix this. Helpless to resist, you comply, out of an abundance of caution. American psychologists Martin Seglemen and Stephen Mayer created the term learn helplessness in 1967. They were studying animal, animal behavior by delivering electric, electric shocks to dogs. In brackets it says it was, it, it was a simpler time. Dogs who learned they couldn't escape the shock simply stopped trying, even after the scientists removed a barrier and the dog could have jumped away. Learned helplessness has three main features. A passive response to trauma, disbelief that trauma can be controlled, and stress. 
Example, you're being stalked by a killer disease, which often has no outward symptoms. There is nothing you can do but hide inside and buy things from Amazon. The government failed to stop the virus initially, failed to warn you, failed to supply ventilators and PPE gear, and failed to produce a vaccine quick enough. You may die. You may kill your family members along the way. You have lost your job by government decree and are forced to survive on unemployment and the odd stimulus check. Manufactured dependence? It is. All very real. WebMD saw a 251% increase in searches for anxiety this April. Americans, with their cult-like devotion to victimhood, are primed for learned helplessness. Your problems are because you are a POC, or fat, or on the spectrum. You are not responsible, can't fix something so systemic, and best do what you are told. And the way out is to allow people to make decisions and choices on their own. This therapy is used with victims of learned helplessness such as hostages. During their confinement, all the important decisions of their life and most of the minor ones were made by their captors. Upon release, many hostages fear things as simple as meal choice and need to be coaxed out of their helplessness one micro choice at a time. Example, you cannot choose where to stand, so follow the marks on the floor, ignore the research saying three feet apart is as useful or as useless as six feet apart. Don't think about the rules. Don't think why the rules are the same inside a narrow hallway and outside in the fresh air, but don't apply the don't apply it all to airplanes. <laughs> oh. Kin to learned helplessness are enforcers. Suddenly <clears throat> your waitress transitions from someone serving you into someone ordering you to wear your mask, sit alone, eat outside, etc. Flight attendants more from delivering drinks to holding the power to have security haul you to jail for unmasking when not actively eating. Companies once run by entrepreneurs are today controlled by the harassment stalking undead from HR. We've become a republic of hall monitors, and there it is. The wrong people are in charge. One of the better examples of learned helplessness is One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, a great book made into an impressive movie starring a lean Jack Nicholson. Nurse Ratchet cows a group of mentally ill men into complete learned helplessness, encouraging them to rat each other out for small offenses and force and to follow her every order, no matter how absurd. The kicker comes near the end when we learn all of the men except Nicholson are free to leave the hospital at any time. They just can't. It's amazing how fast people stepped into nurse, the nurse Ratchet role. Within moments of COVID's arrival in the nation's conscience, officials like California's Gavin Newsom and New York's Andrew Cuomo and Bill de Blasio raced to assume fat emergency powers. They spent not one moment assessing the impact of their decisions to lock down against the, uh, against the effects of the lockdown. <clears throat> they ignored information questioning the value of lockdowns. They turn topsy-turvy the idea that in a free society, the burden of proof is on those who would restrict freedoms and not on those who would resist such restrictions. <laughs> they were aided in manufacturing learned helplessness by the most sophisticated propaganda operation ever created. Already engorged with the coin of three years of fake news, the legacy media saw the value of a new crisis in working towards their two real goals, making as much money as possible, garnering clicks, and defeating Donald Trump. Previous shows, Russiagate, with a hat tip to 9-11, when America demanded fewer freedoms to feel safer, illustrated the way. On a 24-7 basis, Americans were injected with the message, you are helpless, and Donald COVID Trump will kill you. Your only hope is to comply fully with the people at CNN who are administering, administering the electric shocks. Truth is useless to propagandists. Actually, it's a threat. Look at what turned out to be false, in addition to Russiagate. We never ran out of ventilators, or PPE, or nurses, or ICU beds, or morgues. Masks are not needed outdoors. We did in fact develop a vaccine, several for that matter, in less than a year. Almost everyone who died was elderly or had serious underlying health conditions. But we salivated over our new case numbers, as 
the primary metric anyway, uh, anyway because they went up so much faster. When people questioned the real-world view, view against the media portrayal, they were told about asymptomatic COVID or shunned as hoaxers. Everyone makes mistakes, but just as with Russiagate, all the media mistakes swung one way. It worked. Condo boards boarded up their gyms, restaurants forced diners to eat outside in the rain, entire industries such as tourism and hospitality disappeared overnight. New groups were shoved into poverty and unemployment. Children were denied ed education, criminals released from jail, people were told not to hug their loved ones or celebrate birthdays or attend church. We were told to fear our neighbors, neighbors as potential carriers. Every time dissenting information popped up, Florida opening up its beaches for spring break, for example, the media rushed to declare everyone was going to die. Texas was declared dead. South Dakota was declared dead. And Americans believed it all, even when reports of survivors started drifting out of Disney World. Americans are not comfortable accepting that their new lives, new lives being manipulated at this level. The way, for example, um, <clears throat> the way, for example, many Russians assume it to be so. We tend to dismiss such things as conspiracy theories and make an Oliver Stone joke. But ask yourself, how many of the temporary security and surveillance measures enacted after 9-11 are still controlling our lives almost 20 years later? Is the terror threat still so real the FBI needs to monitor our social media in bulk? Was it ever? Nothing here is to say vaccines don't work or are themselves dangerous. That's another debate. This is about the politics of mass control. Add up that doesn't really make sense, but we do it anyway, COVID rules, and try to make sense of them. Why would otherwise smart leaders implement such rules? For example, in New York's case, purposely impoverishing, impoverishing a city or seeking to defund the police in the midst of a triple-digit rise in crime? Every time your answer is, it just doesn't make sense. Consider a scenario beyond coincidence where it would make sense. However, out there that, however, however out there that might be. It might be the most important thing you can do. Then look out the window. Remember, 15 days to flatten the curve with no voting or debate? A system based on medical procedure capable of controlling our travel? Which businesses we can visit? Which hotels we can stay in? What jobs we can hold? What education we can access? At which point is no more voluntary... At, at which point it is no more voluntary than breathing was put into place? We no longer need to ask what is going to happen. Remember, the real question is always why. Absolutely brilliant article. Um, <clears throat> the only thing I could really add to it is the, the uh, absolutely controlled lab rats that just rat on everybody. You know, the article kind of left, left them out, but there is a whole group in our society that is all about this. They're loving it. They're loving their freedoms getting stripped away. They love arguing with people that are speaking out on all the socials. They try to they try to come at you with this holier-than-thou type of approach. There is a group that is just thriving in this that would otherwise be... <clears throat> you wouldn't even give them the time of day. That's the one, the one thing I've noticed about all the people that are doing that is they just absolutely... Holy... They are those people. They are thriving when society is... <sighs> in the depths of falling to a uh, fascist technocracy and they don't get it they all they all they thrive on is just slamming people with their newfound power you know s s siding with the, the, the narrative and uh, but they they don't understand that they're useful idiots they don't get it they will never understand that um you know we didn't get to a couple articles um so i guess i'll have to save them for the next episode um i guess there's one more clip that i want to play we're running a little bit over but that's okay just a little bit of um the audit news that's coming out um no surprise to any of us but <clears throat> this is a great summary sent to me by a buddy of mine and so i'll just play it um so you guys can hear what they're what they're uncovering hey guys i have an election update and you're gonna want to share the hell out of this one you know those Dominion voting systems that had that glitch in Michigan and switched 6,000 Trump votes to Biden? Well, they have completed data analysis on them and they have found that 2.7 million Trump votes were deleted nationwide. That's 2.7 million Trump votes deleted nationwide. 
221,000 Pennsylvania Trump votes were switched to Biden. That's 221,000 Trump votes switched over to Biden. 941,000 Pennsylvania Trump votes were deleted out of the system. And 435,000 votes nationwide were switched from Trump to Biden. So folks, have faith. Just give it some time. We all knew this was going to be a Trump landslide, and it didn't add up. So let's just be patient and see how it goes and share this one. It's being deleted off of Facebook. So just uh, some interesting numbers there. Um, obviously, I don't know if I've mentioned it on the show, but uh, it's the fractional voter value uh, algos that we're running that I'm very interested in. Uh, I believe that they were, I, th- I believe they were valuing a Trump vote as 0.75 and a Biden vote is 1.25. So when you start tallying that up, when it comes to millions and millions of votes, um, that's that's going to be the major one. So once once we get that down down pat, um, you know, just I think his numbers are actually quite low to tell you the truth. But uh, it's just it's just the beginning. Um, you know, these numbers are going to go way 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 up. Um, like we've did, like we've discovered or we've talked about before in the Antrim. Um, forensic audit of the machines uh we basically learned that they were flipping the uh the trump biden votes so biden was getting all the trump votes and then the biden actual uh, actual votes were being sent to adjudication so just not to confuse this trump would get the biden votes and then the actual biden votes would then be sent to adjudication so trump was sitting with biden's number the, the votes sent to adjudication were then counted again for Biden. So it, it's, it's, uh, it's just unbelievable. When, when we unravel or when everybody working their butts off to unravel this uh, election fraud, it's going to be a complete landslide. And I, I know you guys have probably heard, heard me say this before, but I'd be willing to bet that Trump got over 100 million votes. Um, like an absolute landslide. So it's cool that we're starting to see this... Um, all over the place. Uh, the mainstream media is going absolutely upside down haywire over it. They are just losing their minds. And I'm loving every second of it. Uh, Rachel Madcow is just coming unhinged. Like, and, and they're trying to throw every slang, you know, trying to discredit it every way they can. And it's just not working. It's so great to watch. So great to witness. Anyway, my friends, we better shut this one down. So thanks so much for joining me again. Uh, it was a great show to spend with you, a great hour to rant and rave. Uh, <laughs> thanks for putting up with my anger and swearing. This one definitely got under my skin, but hey, it's CPR. That's what we do, man. You guys are you guys are fully aware of this, so that's why you, you tune in and share, share your frustrations with me. Hey, sometimes it comes out on, on the air. So um, if you want to reach out to me, you can find me on Facebook. It's Canadian Patriot Radio. Use the message button. That is a direct link to me. So if you've got something you want to say, if you don't like all my swearing, uh, just let me know. <laughs> uh, if you prefer email, it's CanadianPatriotRadio at gmail.com. And my personal favorite is the Telegram page. That is t, uh, t.me backslash CanadianPatriotRadio. And if you like websites, prefer them over everything else, it is CanadianPatriotRadio.ca. Again, thanks for tuning in, everybody, and thanks to everybody that's contributing. Um, it's you guys making the show. So until next time, until next time, my friends, with all of thy sons, command. joining us for another episode of Canadian Patriot Radio. CPR is not filmed before a live studio audience. If you like the show, friends, make sure you give us a thumbs up and share us on all your social media platforms. Until next time, take care.